We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 17. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak and make yourself known. Help us to know you. Help us to see how Jesus is the light in our dark world and help us to trust and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all went through it at one time and I'm sure you can remember it too. Maybe even some of the adults still have a touch of this. But at some point, we all feared the dark. It's why our children have nightlights. It's why if we're out at night and we see a dark alley, we generally dare not go down it. We stick to the brightly lit pathways. There's something about light that brings comfort, that brings safety and assurance. It's why even now as adults, when we return home to a dark house, the first thing we do is turn on the lights. Or some of us have fancy technology that allows us to turn on the lights with an app on our phones. Light helps us to see where we are going so that even though we know the dining table is there, we won't bump into it. Light gives us a sense of knowing where things are. It reveals the true state of things. So maybe that's why some people are more afraid of the light than the dark. Metaphorically speaking now, some people prefer the darkness rather than the light. There are things they can do with their lives that if it remains in the dark, then there is none the wiser. There are perhaps even things in our own lives that we would prefer to remain hidden, covered with shadow. So, as we ponder this passage read out today, it'll be good for all of us to ponder this one question. Are you afraid of the light? The Bible reading before had a rich quote where we're going to spend most of our time. It's one of the things the New Testament authors do a bit. They quote from the old and help explain what it means in the light of Jesus coming. But before we get to that quote from the Old Testament, I've got some explaining of all the geography that's going on in this passage, which I know is not the most stimulating thing. And I bet when you came to your friend's house today, you weren't ready for a geography lesson. But stick with me for a moment, because it'll help to bring some depth to this quote from the Old Testament. Take a look again at all the place references in the opening part of our passage, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 15. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the wave of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay, so let me briefly explain all these places. Galilee was a region in the north of Israel and it covered the areas right next to the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is right up there too and it was the hometown of Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem, as the Christmas songs remind us, but he grew up in Nazareth. And as we read in verse 13, he then moved to Capernaum in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, so Zebulun and Naphtali were two areas of land in the same northern region of Israel. They were sort of like states of Israel. You could think of it like that. And they were named after the sons of Israel. Now, what is also helpful to know is that when Israel settled into the land in general, they divided themselves up into 12 states, basically. A few centuries on and civil war broke out, 10 states in the north formed the kingdom of Israel, two states in the south called themselves the kingdom of Judah. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that the northern nation of Israel had a long and sad history. They were God's people, but they were consistently rebellious against him. Their persistent and unrepentant sin finally caused God to bring judgment on them. And he did that by sending a foreign nation to invade their land and destroy their homes. The nation chosen was Assyria a powerful and brutal nation whose war atrocities are well documented in history. The northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. The shadow of death had been cast over that land. Israel carted away, uh, Assyria carted away a bunch of people back to their homeland, but also left a bunch behind and sent their people to settle in there as well. And eventually this new bunch of people married and intermingled with the remaining Israelites and produced the people who were of mixed ethnicity. That's why at the end of verse 15, this region is called Galilee of the Gentiles. It wasn't a place that was made up of purely Israelites and Jews. Now, the point of all of this geography is to say that this region, this land, had a long and rich but sad history. It was a history of people who were meant to be shining lights of the world, a people who were specifically chosen by God to be his holy, distinct people, distinct in their loves and actions, distinct in the ways that would demonstrate that to this world God's goodness and shine that light before them. But these people rejected their wonderful and kind and generous God. In God's place, they worshiped created and carved images and made a wreck of their lives. And they persisted in these actions despite God calling them back. They pursued their reckless desires all the while giving the middle finger to God. The references to this region is a bit of a painful point, kind of like poking a painful memory. It reminds me of my dad. My dad is Vietnamese and he came to Australia as a refugee after the Vietnam War. He fled his homeland because he fought for the South against the North, but the North eventually won. Years later, on my wall, there was a, flag, a, a, a world map with all the flags around its borders. The Vietnamese flag was the, the current one, the red flag with the yellow star. But my dad took a piece of white tape and he taped over that star. He said that that wasn't the right flag. That flag brought painful memories to him. In a sort of similar way, the references to Zebulun and Naphtali are sort of a painful memory. Memories of the people, what they were compared, uh, what they were like compared to what they were now. Which makes what Jesus does all the more astonishing. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, chooses to live among them. Why did he do that? 
Part of the reason he chose to do that is because of the people who were there, what their lives were like. Matthew verse 14 to 15, uh, 15 to 16 says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and, of, and shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. See, Matthew, the gospel writer, is quoting from an old prophet, a guy named Isaiah. I mentioned before the history of the land of uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, Isaiah lived right in the thick of the action. He was there. He was seeing the people rejecting their God and worshipping everything else. Isaiah's prophecy is really long and contains some of the weightiest warnings of Israel uh, against Israel in the Old Testament. But in the middle of these warnings comes a series of hopeful notes. A series of songs that change the tone of God's message from judgment to hope. Matthew quotes here from one of the first songs found in Isaiah 9. There the people were walking in darkness. They were rejecting God and seeking to live their own way. Instead of embracing the light of God's words to them, they chose darkness. Centuries later, Matthew adds that they were living in the shadow of the death. It's hard to escape the history of that land, hard to not remember how Assyria had come through and destroyed everything and destroyed the lives of those living there. The light of God's promises to that land, that it would be a place flowing with milk and honey, a place of justice, a place where his people would flourish, that light had long ago been extinguished and in its place was a shadow, a dark shadow of death. History would not remove the shadow. Centuries later, and it was still there. Living in that area was a Jew, uh, as a Jew, was not a popular choice because you were surrounded by people that reminded you of what Israel had lost. The shadow of death had stretched through time and was lingering. In some ways, we know what this is like even today. We may not be living in Israel in the first century with a lingering memory of past destruction and death, but we know what it's like to live in the shadow of death. We see it on the news, the images of war fresh in our minds, the horror of hearing about a violent death of a teacher at an elite Sydney school, another natural disaster taking the lives of many. But many of us know the shadow of death personally. We've had to say goodbye to friends and family who have died. Sometimes we were surprised and shocked by the news. Sometimes we saw it coming, but the sorrow is familiar. Some of us are helping family members right now who are battling major health issues. The pain of having a parent with dementia or a loved one with cancer. Some of us experience the shadow and darkness with an increasing sense of isolation and loneliness, of not being seen. As though you're sitting in the dark and nobody notices you around. And there are many of us with our own health failings or simply the aches and pains of older age bringing with it an inescapable sense that life is marching on and at some point it's going to end. Matthew has been referring to a people living with a sad history in the land, but the experiences of living in darkness and in the shadow of death is a human experience that runs across time and place. We all live with it, or we will at some point, but what do we do with the dark shadow looming over us? Are we even aware that it's there? Have we become experts at running from it, ignoring it or distracting ourselves from its reality? Into the darkness, we have devised our own sources of light, little lights of hope, the gentle glow from our phone or tablet screens, 
a light that is not only, not only addictive in its own way, but provides a much needed distraction from the shadow that surrounds us. But these little lights don't help solve the problem. What God does is something better. He sends the greatest light into our world. He doesn't send a small candle into a dark room, but a bright lamp that breaks into the night. Matthew doesn't quote it here, but Isaiah points to the wonderful light that is to come. Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This child will have the weight of the world on his shoulders. What a massive responsibility. His role will take him far and wide into the depths of our need. See, we need wisdom. We need guidance in life. And so God provides a wonderful counselor. We need help to overcome this shadow of death. So the mighty God appears. We are built for relationships, but death keeps breaking and stealing them from us. And so God reveals himself as everlasting father. We need help because the shadow of death that looms over us has been brought about by our own sinful rebellion against God. And so God sends the Prince of Peace. And we need to be led through to safety. So God sends a king whose leadership will have no end. A king of true justice forevermore. Into the darkness of this world, God sends an incredibly wonderful light. But how do you think people react when the light is turned on and seen? You would generally think that people prefer to have the lights on. Back in the early days of our youth group, we'd play a blindfold game. We'd blindfold you and give you an object and using only your sense of touch, you'd have to try and guess what it was. As you can imagine, for some people, it was really scary to hold out your hands. The fear of the unknown or the fear that something might be given to you that would hurt you. But of course, the teens leaders would never give you anything like that. Right, guys? But we know what it's like. Living in darkness blinds us to the real dangers in this world. But take the blindfolds off, turn the lights on, and you suddenly see what's in front of you the whole time. You get a better grip on reality. You see what is true and good, and you see what is untrue and not good. You'd think that if in our dark worlds a light was shone, that we'd be thankful and glad for it. But the light is not always welcome. Jesus himself said that people love the darkness because the darkness is where they can hide their own sins. Criminals do their best work in the dark and metaphorically, we all prefer that our sins remain hidden away in darkness where nobody can see them. Shine a light on it and expose, it's exposing and shameful and that's scary. So who would want what is hidden to be exposed? Well, it's 
those who are tired of hiding, who are weary of the burden and shame. It's those who want relief and those who realize that the light that is shining is more beautiful and wonderful than what the darkness hides. That's why Jesus calls on people to repent at the end of our passage. In his first words of public ministry, Jesus calls on people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is not simply feeling guilty about your sin or to feel sorrow for the pain that you have caused. Repentance begins there, but it ends with the conviction that the problem of sin is that we've rebelled against God. And the only cure for that is faith joined with a rejection of sin. Repentance is simply turning from the darkness and turning to embrace the light, turning from loving ourselves and our sins and turning to Jesus, trusting his sacrifice for us, following him as our king for the rest of our days. Are you ready to do that? Over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew and learning about Jesus at church, learning about the one we turn towards in faith and trust. So let me invite you to join us in the coming weeks as we explore who Jesus is and why we think he's worth putting our whole trust in. The invitation is also to come to his kingdom. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're all being invited to join this new kingdom. And it's a radical place, an upside down kingdom whose values are unlike anything in this world. Not because it offers new rules for life, but because it offers a way of life that shows who we were made to be. A way of life that is deeply satisfying. See, what we value, what we find satisfaction in, are the things we pursue in life. And as another invitation to you, we'll be exploring the big things in life that we all seek satisfaction in. Friends and family, a secure job, health and wellness. Over January, we'll be looking into these things and more and seeing how while these things are all good, they're actually like little LED fairy lights in comparison to the light of the sun. But let me finish by asking the question from the start. Are you afraid of the light? What might be stopping you from accepting the invitation to come to the light? Well, let me pray and ask that God would help us who are keen to know more. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll help us to know that you are real, to know that you have spoken and revealed yourself. Help us to see this in the light of Jesus. Help us to trust him. Help us to be curious, to want to know more. And as we share our meals together now, help us to chat and reflect on these things together. For we ask this, that we might know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen.